0: Okay, guys, let's uh, hit it. I did have a slide for all the scriptures, but I'm not going to use them. What I did this, this week is I just put one slide with all the scriptures I've used, rather than putting every slide up there with all the scriptures, right? And I didn't get time to put it on the machine. So let's start anyway. just hope that when we speak this morning that we speak to your hallelujah and we speak to your praise the Lord moments. Amen. You know, when you hear God speak to you in an area, do you know God doesn't have to keep speaking to you again in that area? When God speaks to you in a specific area, God is not compelled to have to keep speaking to you In that area again. It's all about your obedience. And about your ability. When he speaks. To become convinced. Of it was him who spoke. When you're feeling good. You are convinced that it was God who spoke. The moment you hit a praise the Lord moment. You then doubt. And undo what God spoke. And then you say to God, God, was it you? Show me again, Lord. Show me again, Lord. And guess what? The cycle is constantly repeated. And with a constant recycle like that, you never come to faith. You'll never come to faith. You must, there has to be a time when you take God at His word. And, it does, and I'm not talking about the repeated word. No. I'm talking about his spoken word to you. Yeah. When God speaks a prophecy to you, example, he only speaks it once. Yeah. Yeah. There may be other additions that might clarify later on. But he, said, he didn't say, I'll get another prophet or I'll get somebody else to say the same word again. If you don't take hold of the first word, what good is a second? Yeah. 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 Can you see this? many of many christians are not coming to faith because they're caught in the same cycle they can never move beyond the cycle was it you i'm not sure lord speak to me again lord if it's you lord bid me to come and god says i need a people who can hear once and respond and record if you are constantly in that position of saying lord i'm not quite sure was it you then you're always going to be in a very, very tricky predicament. Now, there are times, let me clarify, there are times when you're not quite sure and God will speak to you. But what I'm saying is you can't always be in that cycle of doubt. On yes. uncertainty. There has to be some things that you become... That's, yes, Lord, I know I heard You see, when we talk about the discipleship school, I see nothing in front of me. I don't see any students. I don't see nothing. All I have is what I believe God spoke to me when I was in Australia. All I have right now, I have no evidence beyond that. But is that sufficient? Or do I need now to keep asking God to send other prophets or to to speak to me? Was it you? He says, Tony, I spoke to you. You knew it was me. What you do with it now is up to you. And I've got to hold this thing in place. Because there's no evidence beyond me. I'm the one with the word. Mary said, let it be unto me. Mary didn't have any evidence. She didn't even have a morning sickness. She had nothing. And I'm convinced that if we are going to move into a, a whole new dimension, we must be able to take God at his word. You must be able to hear God. The greatest compliment I could ever give to you, uh, and and the same with Phil and Paul, is that you say at the end of our lives, they taught us how to hear God. Because if you can't hear God, you will always be reliant upon me, Phil, Paul, or anybody else. You must be able to hear God for yourself and walk by that word and be accountable to that word. If you come and tell me God said, I should have the right to say, John, you told me God said. Now, John might be able to say, you know what, Pastor, I may have got it wrong. And we all understand we get it wrong. But will least be man enough to say I might have got it wrong? Or I might say, no, John, don't doubt. I believe it's God. And now he might need that strength because we all have moments of doubt. But we cannot be in continual doubt. Yeah? Walking by faith is becoming less and less of a Christian quality. I'm going to stop right there. Less and less. Walking by faith is becoming less and less of a quality I'm seeing in the body of Christ. Walking by faith is becoming the least thing people Need in their mind. What did God say in his own word about faith? Without faith it's what? Say it again to yourself. So why do you try and live without it? Or why do we try and live without it? Not you, apologise. I'm not criticising you. Why do we try and live without it if it's the one thing we need to please God? So if we don't walk by faith, What do we walk by? Well, we walk by self-help messages. Which is just enough fuel to get by. Which is just enough fuel to to make me feel good in my emotions. And make me feel like I'm progressing. And if there is no faith, how are you supposed to work out and walk out this word? Come on, think about it. The heroes of faith. Anybody heard that phrase? I don't think that will be a phrase said of too many modernists. I really don't. It's a shame that we always look backwards to find our heroes. Rather than look at the side of us. Or in the midst of us. When things go wrong, we need Our network friends, we need our Facebook people. I won't call them friends because they're not friends. We need all kinds of support mechanisms just to help us get through some bad news. Now, don't get me wrong, that's not wrong, but they can't be your first port of call. But very often, (coughs) they are. When the word comes to us, God says, I'm going to see if the word I've given you Inside of you, there is an ability to press in, push on, yeah. and pursue yeah. Yeah. until enough light is shone on your path to establish that word that I spoke to you. But if I'm constantly in the place of doubt, I'm not putting light on it, am I? I'm putting opinions. I'm putting projections, I'm putting emotions, I'm putting wrong thinking, wrong interpretations, I'm putting a whole bunch of things, and what do I do? I contaminate the waters inside of me. We all do it. It's very real. We all do it. But we've got to put more salt on it. When you've got a wound, what do you do? They used to put salt on them, didn't they? Now we've got all kind of modern fancy stuff now. But years ago, they used to put salt on it. Salt is still a preservative. The salt of the word is what? Is the word. Yeah. You've got to put the word on it. When you've got an open wound and you feel like your life's hemorrhaging and, you can't, and it's uncontrollable and you can't stop it, you've got to put more word in there. Yeah. And you might need some professional help. You might need additional help, but you've got to put some word in there. Yes? Yeah. It's going to get dark before it gets light. Yeah. You know, as this day goes on, we move towards the darkness, don't we? Yeah. In fact, there's only a couple of hours left of light, so the darkness is coming, and then there'll be light. And depending what kind of day it was, or it will be, like if it was like yesterday. There's no light; it's just snowstorms. <laughs> it's white, not light. So this week I, I posted on Facebook a uh, video of Ravi Zacharias, some of you may not know him, some of you will. He's a, what I call, he's a Christian apologist, apologist. He's brilliant. His mind is fantastic. Very, very good. I love listening to him. And there was another guy on there called R.C. Sproul. Now, I like R.C. Sproul. He's my favorite theologian. I thought he was dead, actually. I was quite surprised to see him alive. So that was quite... I bet he was. <laughs> and they were debating what is truth. And in the discussion... Ravi says the danger of this emerging church in other words the growing church the church that's growing and growing and growing and growth is not what you think it is growth is not more numbers that's a crowd that's a crowd growing but that's not the church growing so but we'll just keep it in context for a minute the church he said the growing emerging church is this that they're going to find themselves the next generation is going to find themselves in deep trouble when it comes to them speaking to different religions about their faith. And Ravi said, the reason why that is so is because this generation doesn't have faith. And it doesn't walk by faith and it doesn't know its word. Because you can't have faith if you don't know your word. My faith is in Christ. So if my faith is in Christ, it can't just be in Christ, but not his word. That's not true. That's called, I believe in Jesus. Many of us call faith, belief. Yes. Faith is taking the word at its word. Yes. Believe is, I believe Jesus Christ lives. But my faith says, I, I have enough belief. With my belief, I have faith to take him at his word. That's right. It's amazing how many people believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't have a faith to walk person said to me only a couple of weeks ago, I never stopped believing God. In all the years I've been backslid. As if that was some kind of justification. And I said, well you didn't believe him enough to follow him though, did you? And then it hit me. Without a life of surrender, belief is useless. Do I have enough faith to surrender my life to walk and work this word out? Yeah. Come on church. I really feel like Christianity is going to get really ugly in this country. I do. I think it's going to get really, really ugly. And I think it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to the church. Seriously. Well, we're all in comfortable mode. Why will anything change? Now, I don't pray persecution on you. I think persecution will find its own way. I don't pray dark times on you. I think darkness will find its own way. I pray that... This word in you rises within you, so it doesn't matter what comes our way, we can rise above it. Yeah? If I, if I say to you, oh, darkness is coming, oh, the end of the world. Well, darkness is here. But darkness is also coming. Yeah? The end of the world is coming. It's not here, but it's, it's coming. But the end of the world, for some people, has already come. Their world has already gone. It's amazing when, you could, when your world is gone and you still have to live. That's deep, that is. So, the danger of this emerging church is this, is when you've got pastors writing books, best-selling books, and when you read those books, these are best-sellers, how to get a better life and things like this, and 21 ways, 10 ways, 5 ways, 10 keys. There's more, there's 7, 21, 10. They're all best, they're all marketing tools. And when you open them, they don't speak of Christ. Then that's sad indictment upon those who are writing it and upon the church. I'd like to think if I wrote a book on 10 ways, 7 ways, 21 ways, whatever it is, I'd like to think when you open my book, I'm talking about Christ Unless I write a book on something completely different, that's nothing to do with Christ, then I'm okay. But if I, if I, me as an author, me as a Christian, if I'm writing something, I better have Jesus in it. Yeah? yeah? If I'm writing to a Christian audience, that is. I can't have a bestseller in the Christian world. No. There's no such thing as a bestseller to the Christian world. Because Christians don't buy books. That's why there's none available. Right? The world, if you want to get a bestseller, you've got to sell it to the world. And if you're selling Christianity to the world, but there's no Christ in it, then you've just got anity Or anarchy. Yeah? So we've got to make sure that we're walking by faith. Romans 1.17 says this, for in, the gospel, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. So in our gospel, there is a righteousness from God that is revealed. It's revealed to you. And then he says this, a righteousness that is by faith. From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Are you righteous? So you've got to live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, we live by faith, not by sight. So my eyes have to have faith. My mind has to have faith. My heart has to have faith. Because I don't know about you, some days my heart, my mind, and my and my eyes all disagree with each other. And other days they all agree with each other. They agree with those, they agree on those things. They never they seem to disagree when it comes to food and pleasures. But they all disagree when it comes to sacrifice. I don't like the way that feels I don't like the way that sounds. Oh, that's the ear speaking. The eyes say, Yeah, I can see what you mean. The heart says, I'm with you. There are days when you are divided within yourself. Is that true? Yeah. Hebrews 10.38 says, But the righteous one, but my righteous one, have we got any righteous ones in here? Yeah. Will live by faith and if they shrink back, if he shrinks back, I'm not going to be pleased with him. Yeah. But we're not of those who shrink back. No. Yeah. Listen to what he says. We are not of those who shrink back he didn't say we are not of those who shrink back only he said we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed yeah. That's a very key phrase yeah. when you shrink back you get destroyed mm-hmm. yeah. we're not we're of not those who shrink back and are destroyed but we're those who believe and I say that's, that's Hebrews 10:38 38. it's 38 yeah 38 39. Revelation tells us in the book uh, Revelation twelve eleven. it said they overcame him. Who's they? They were the, the previous saints who had been persecuted. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives as much to shrink from death. They didn't shrink back. It's amazing. There's a difference between Carol shrinking back and being destroyed. And Carol shrinking back and suffering death for her faith. Stop. Think. There's a difference between Carol shrinking back in her faith and her faith leading to her soul being destroyed. And there's a difference if Carol is persecuted for her faith and she dies because of it. Though she dies, she lives. But if she shrinks back, she's destroyed. So with her faith, she stood, got persecuted, died, or suffered. But when she lost her faith, she not only shrunk back, but she was destroyed. I would rather die through persecution and be saved than shrink back, and be destroyed because of my lack of faith. Yeah. Now, I know that's a lot easier to say, and it's easy to say when I'm in a comfortable environment. But that's right now, today, that's where, I, that's where I'm standing. And that's where I want to be with my life. Is that where you feel? Now, none of us know how we're going to turn out in the, in the heat of the battle. Is that fair to say? But you see, these people who are overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, it's that testimony that we keep talking about and we've been talking about since January. It's this testimony that we have got to get right and work out. Your testimony is not what you did 10 years ago. That was the beginning of the journey. But that's not your testimony. But we tell everyone, tell us your testimony, how I came to Jesus. right? Tell us your testimony, how you stopped walking with him. And you stop working with him. So your testimony is ongoing. Hello? Your testimony is ongoing. So if it's ongoing, we've got to work it out. So these guys have the blood of the Lamb speaking for them. Is the blood of the Lamb speaking for your faith? Is it? See, I've got the blood. The blood just didn't speak for me once, it's speaking for me. Why? Because in my faith, my faith is ongoing. Yeah. So I have a blood that speaks, yeah. not spoke. Yeah. Yes? When I, was, when I was a sinner and I gave my life to Jesus, the blood spoke for me, covered me, washed me when, when, I, when I repented. <laughs> but now I'm a believer, I must keep working and walking in faith. Is that true? Yeah. Believing's not enough now. Believing is not enough. That gift of faith that you had to receive Christ wasn't even yours. The Bible tells us it was the gift that was given to you just to even accept it. It was like a free ticket to some degree. Yeah? So, you've now got to develop this. And we must have an understanding, an internal understanding of the power that we, we carry within us. You must know how to carry it. You know, I've got a phone in my pocket, but I don't always know how to use it. They call them smartphones. The only thing that's smart is the phone. There's things on that phone that I don't know how to use. I'll never know how to use. Why? Because I'm not interested. Phones go ring, ring. Text, text. Internet, that's about it. I know phones can do a lot more, but mine doesn't. It has more potential, more power than I could ever ask, think, or even imagine. But when you go to the shop, you think you need this super-duper, fantastic, phantasmagorical phone. Why? To make make one call on it. To make a text. Yeah? Why do you need all this power on this phone and all this memory space when your usage is minimal? But they tell you this, hoping that's going to be the sizzle that's going to enable you to then go back, I've got this phone, what does all this? Right, that's called unused potential. I know a lot of Christians like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm one of them. I'm one of them who doesn't use my full potential, who tells God I'm better than I am. God, I can do that. I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. He said, yeah, but what about the things you can't do? The things that you never strengthen, your weaknesses. Yeah, that's true, Lord. Right. Shh, quiet. There is a word and there is a testimony that you and I must carry. There's an external verbalizing that you have to get used to. See, I'm verbalizing to you what I know, what I feel, what I believe God's saying to us as a church. Yeah? But there comes a point when it comes from me to you, to you, to them. From me, from him, to me. From me, to you, from you, to them. Or, this is you, he speaks to me, I speak to them. Yes? Either way, if God can only speak to you, but God can't speak through you, then you have blocked the potential that's inside of you. If God can only speak to you and can't speak through you to others, then you have blocked the potential. Your usage of God and your faith is limited. God's faith, your faith cannot just be used for God just to meet your needs. Come on, grow up and go beyond that, please. Your needs are serious, I get that. Your needs are real, yeah, I get that. But so are the needs beyond you. Come on. How many of you know you have an enemy against your soul? Do you believe that or do you know it? You know it. Why do you know it? Because I've told you? Because someone else has told you? Has he ever come up to you and spoke to you? Has he ever shown you? No, but you believe he's there, don't you? Because it's easy to blame the devil when you didn't do things. So it's an escape. let's just play with this for a second, let's just say he's fictitious. Let's say he's been supplanted there to appease the human conscience. And we all blame this fellow called the devil. Yeah? But he is real. He's a real enemy. He speaks to you all the time. But because we don't understand... Oh, we don't always know when it's God speaking to us and when it's ourself or when it's the enemy speaking. We get confused. Because we haven't got faith working. We should know how faith speaks to us. We should know. It's evidence of things hoped for, yes. things unseen, yes. certain. Yes. I know we will have a discipleship school. Yes. I know. I just don't know how it's going to come about. I don't see any evidence right now. I don't see even a snowflake on the ground to show me snow's coming on this discipleship. But it's coming. Why? Because the moment I don't believe, it dies with me. Why? Because he spoke to me. It's got to be, I've got to keep fertilizing this thing. I've got to keep watering. I've got to keep... Doing something to my seed. Because the moment I catch faith, all my energy will then go towards that thing. Yeah? If you've got an enemy against your soul, you all agree with that, don't you? Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure you have an enemy against your soul? Well, if you've got an enemy against your soul, equally you have an enemy against your faith. He's not just the enemy of your soul; he's the enemy of your faith. You didn't get that, did you? You see, the reason why he says the soul because if I affect my you, if I affect my emotions and my psychology, my spirit man is then affected. Yes. So when you're sick, what happens? I don't. When you're sick, you don't feel like praying, dear. When you're sick, you don't feel like reading. When you're sick, you don't feel like thinking about godly things. You just want self. Pity when you're sick. I get that. We all feel like that. So the first thing sickness does, it makes the body weak and the weakness of the human flesh shuts the spirit down. Right? So that's why if you can rise up in the spirit, you can then speak to the flesh and say, flesh, shut up. Right, so it's not only against your soul because your soul is your mind, your will and your emotions. But if it's an enemy against your faith, you have no mechanism to fix what's wrong in the soul. Hello? You've got to see this. He's more than an enemy against your soul. He's an enemy against your faith. He's not bothered if you die. Because he came to kill, steal and, and destroy. He don't care how it happens. To him, it's mission fulfilled. So Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him. The enemy of their soul and the enemy against their faith. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They overcame him. But now that you know God, Galatians 4 says this. Now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those miserable forces Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I fear that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Miserable forces. I don't know about you, but when I get attacked, whether I'm sick in my body or I'm sick in my spirit, I feel miserable. Do you? Do you feel miserable? Yeah. Miserable forces. Satanic forces are miserable forces. That's you know, when you're sick, Carol tell you, when I'm sick, I get miserable. And when you get miserable, guess what? It's only one notch away from depression. Yeah. When, you, when you're miserable, when you, what do they call it? Miserable, when you prolong prolonged miserable, what do you call it? You can't say miserableness, can you? Is that it? Anyway, we're having that word. We'll call it miserableness. when your your misery thank you David when your misery is prolonged that's it now I'm finding the English when your misery is prolonged depression is not far away we can all suffer bouts of misery but when your misery is prolonged depression is never far away and depression is misery taken to a whole new level so we have to arrest the body, the soul, the mind, the will, and those killing things called emotions. Yes. They're our best friend and our greatest enemy. Emotions uncontrolled um, can bring misery. So then we start putting chemicals in our body to try and make us happy. We've got to do something about our faith, guys. We will not push, press in, and pursue God without faith. Without faith, we will not do it. And I'm telling you, it might... I believe there's a rescue mission on to get us to faith. This house has to come to faith. It has to come to faith. So if I say to Phil... Or let's use myself... God speaks to me about discipleship. At that moment, I'm in a beautiful environment and I feel all excited. God's going to give us a school of discipleship. Right. At that moment, I had faith. Did I not? I accepted it. Yes. I believe it's you. Right. The journey now is me coming to faith in this area. So if Phil... Was just one of you stand there a minute. Ange, just stand there a minute, sweet. She's representing me. She's got the word, but I'm over here. Now, between me and Ange, there is a distance. There is a considerable distance from what I have spoken to her and where she is. Is that not true? Yeah. So, inside Ange, she's got all the inheritance of the kingdom. And this discipleship is part of the inheritance that God's given to us as a dream centre. Right. It's here. Now, she's got to draw from the fullness. So I'm Jesus and I have the fullness. And I've put the inheritance here. It's over here. You see this? Yeah. So I say to Andrew, every time I speak to Ange, Ange, take a step. Stop. So so today I spoke to Ange and she took a step closer coming towards faith, right, now, misery's going to overtake Ange in a minute, Ange took two steps back, she took two steps back, does she still have the same word, yeah, yeah, yeah. but what's she do with it, it allowed to be taken from her. she, right, she allowed it to be taken from her, so she took a step back, so Ange took a step forward, guess what, she's gone no further, she's back where she started, And now she's saying, was it you, God? I'm not quite sure. And God says, And you know it was me. I turned up with an angel. (laughs) Do you remember that time when I slayed you in the spirit? Yeah, yeah, I do. Right. So now we've just wasted two months or two years of Angie's life going backwards to come back to the same place. So they say, Ange, the school's still on, sweetheart. The inheritance is over here, so she takes she it. Now, that might be two weeks, two days, two years. Her life's, ticking over, her life's ticking by. Now, Hans, keep walking. She's walking. Slow down, slow down, girl. She's... Slow down. Somebody. Now, some days she'll take massive strides. Other days she'll take little steps. But does it matter if it's a step or it's a stride? She's going the right way. Right. As long as she keeps hearing the sound of my voice and keeps looking towards me, she's going to make significant journeys of coming to faith. Yes, so she keeps coming. Hands, come on, come on. And and the more she's getting closer, the the words getting clearer, it's getting cleaner. She holds her hand out, and I say, everything that she, everything I spoke to her, she now has received. Amen. Amen. Let me sit down, sweet. But what was that process all about? That process was about her coming to faith. Yeah. Right? It was all about her coming to faith. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about you coming to faith. But if you keep doing the okie, cokey shake it all about, I do the okie, okey and I'm never in or out, that's what it's No, that's not what it's all about. <laughs> it's not what it's all about. I don't care what the song says. It's not what it's all about. It's about coming to faith. You can't be in, out, and keep shaking it all about. You've got to be in. In. So when it comes to whatever you're desiring of from God or what God has ever desir- has been speaking to you, you must push, yes. press in, yes. and pursue so that you can come to faith. It's not, well, I don't have faith for that. I haven't got faith for the whole school. I've got the word. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. I've got the word. I don't know where we're going to get the students from. I'm looking at some of them, but God hasn't spoke to you yet. So in the meantime, let me speak to you. He'll get on the case. Let me sow the seed. But we've got to come to faith. Now, remember, this is the day called nout. This is the day called Nothing. You don't see it. All you've done is heard it. Some of you may not live to see the, fin- the finality. I may not. Because I believe I might not be the one to bring it to its full fruition. But I might be the one to overcome the inertia. Yes. Yeah. So if we start it, we've got to come to faith. All I've got is the word. Yeah. Yeah. But let's just say it becomes truly international. It comes massive. You say, yeah, we started that in our church. You didn't start nothing. You didn't start squat. We had nothing. All we had was the word. That's all we had is the word. And it's dead easy when when students are coming from all around the world. And you're saying, our pastor spoke about this. I remember the day our pastor spoke about this and we had nothing. Mm -hmm. And look at it now. Isn't God wonderful? Yes, he is. But where was your faith? Why didn't it join me mine? What did you do with your faith? What did you do with that word when it came? Did you ever pray about it? No, no, I just left it to you. So it's not your faith then, is it? We must come to faith with this school. We must come to faith. We must come to faith. Now, what would be really good is if you start getting in God's case and say, give our pastor what he lacks, because he's not doing right, good right now. It's a praise the Lord moment. It's not an hallelujah moment. So if you can get on God's back for me, and I can get on God's back for you, then guess what? Because it involves you, as much as it involves me. So then it becomes us. So we have to come to faith. It's our journey of faith. It's not enough just to you hear me talk about it, or Phil or Paul talk about it. You must join your hearts with it, so it becomes ours. Because some of these people are staying at your house. Really? I told you it involved you. Some of these people you'll be taking on for Sunday dinner. Really? My husband doesn't like that. Well, guess what? Your husband will change. Why? Because it's a faith journey. Even your husband might get saved by some of our students. Hello? Someone's wife, someone's auntie. Who cares? It's a whole journey of faith. Faith has become, faith has become something this generation no longer uses, and we have substituted faith for self-helps. We are not going to allow it to happen. Faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We believe by faith. We worship by faith. Amen. We cannot just have a belief. I believe my team is the best in the world. But they're not. It's just my opinion. United fans think we're not. Who cares? The table says something different. <coughs> but it can all fall apart. My faith is not in Man City, dear me. I've had 40 years of the wilderness. I'm not going to boast seven years. The point is this, we must have corporate faith. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's the issue. Can I just say this to you with a little bit of time we've got left? Matthew nine thirty six. When he saw the crowds, who saw the crowds? When Jesus saw the crowds. I've seen the crowds. Let me just stop there for a second. This is grabbing me as I'm speaking it. So this is coming to you direct. When he saw the crowds, just stop. When was the last time you saw your faith saw a crowd? When was the last time your faith saw people beyond you? When was the last time you saw the crowd and had compassion towards them? See, right now, here's a little child here. Do you know there's a crowd of these in our nation? There's a crowd of these young-born children. Now, when their eyes saw this crowd, their heart had compassion (coughs) on this crowd. Now, if you stood... The reason why I say a crowd... That's one on its own. But how many have they had? How many have they looked after? You've got a crowd of them. Yeah. But you can't even count them all, can you? So that's one right now they see. And look at the way they tenderly look after that child. Right? Knowing at some point they'll hand that child back over. But something in them had to notice, God supernaturally gave them something for a crowd. Yeah? yeah? The Bible talks about the orphans and the widows and the poor being three categories of people that we can't ignore and they get heaven's attention the moment we as a people look after the poor the orphans and the widows three categories of people in church uh, sorry in society here this is very linked to the orphan because the next stage if no fostering their orphans yeah so this is very this is very unique but what I'm saying is, is Jesus saw a crowd and the next thing it says, he had compassion. Yeah, yeah. The very thing, your faith will never grow unless you move towards a new crowd. Yeah. As long as you've got you, yourself and your daily routine, your faith won't grow. You'll just maintain what you know, what you've got, but it will never grow to risk level, to courage level, to victory level, to success level, if you don't do something new. If all you do is have your little quiet time with the Lord, your faith won't grow beyond that little need. Come on. Now you all know that's right, but you need then the courage then to break that mould and go and talk to somebody or do something that you've never done before. And this is where we're at as a church. This church will close if we don't change. Yeah. And for some of you, that's just gone right over your head. Some of you think, well, as long as there's a service here on Sunday, I'm all right, sack them lot, it's up to the next generation. No, it's not, it's our generation. Yes, it is. There's too many empty chairs here for my liking. And when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, so Jesus now is seeing the need and now he's now turning to his workforce. 12 of them. And what does he say? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can you imagine our Lord, our Christ telling us, That the harvest is there, but we ain't got a workforce. Welcome to the Dream Center, 2018. We have a harvest out there, but we haven't yet quite assembled to become a workforce. The church, just let that permeate into your mind. We need a workforce. You see, this morning, tea and coffee or toast... This is not, that's not the workforce. Why? Hear what I'm saying? Now straight away, the moment I talk about this, you think, well you've got to acknowledge the people who do it. No, I'm not going down that road. Why? Because I want to make a point. There's no harvest over there. There There's absolutely no harvest over there. That's called self-indulgence. I like a bit of tea, I like a bit of toast, so I'll be over there myself. But that's not what this is referring to. It's talking about the workforce for a harvest. That's not a harvest over there. That's the result of a harvest. Somebody grained, someone picked the grain up, got it into bread. I even got the bread this morning, didn't I, Ange? We've got to get past the Sunday meal in church, we've got to get past this Sunday meal of feeding the sheep and fuel them to become a workforce <coughs> and then he says this ask the Lord of the harvest why? to send out workers now I love the way Jesus sets the whole scenario up because the moment God asks you to pray about something you know you've been recruited can you imagine praying about it Lord send them send Lord the harvest is empty. Send them. And God's looking at you and eventually he's saying, well, let's start with you. You're part of the answer. So can I send you? Because I'm talking to somebody else over there. And I'm talking to somebody else over there. I can send you. No, no. Keep sending them. My job is to pray. No, your job is to go and pray. And pray and go. Not just go and pray, but pray and then go with what you prayed. So, listen to what he says in this. So we see it in Matthew 9 verse 36. And then we see it again in Luke 10 verse 1. And after the Lord appointed 72 others. And now there's a bigger crowd and Phil addressed this last week. He said, now after this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town, place, where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. Because then Romans 10, 10, 13 tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call, listen to what he says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard of? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how can they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You brought snow on your feet this morning. I brought good news this morning. One of us has got something different. So listen to what he says in Romans 10, 13. I read it again to you. How, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now we know there's a harvest field, there's a shortage, but here we have a promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one if they've not even heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless someone is sent? So in this we get, how can they call on? How can they hear? How can they preach, how can people receive and believe if you and I do not go and speak? So, we pray to the harvest, we pray to the Lord of the harvest, but how can the harvest ever be reaped if someone doesn't go into the field? And you know that someone, I'm looking at them, don't you? You are that someone. There's not another crowd. You're the only crowd here. So we have a field that is ready to be harvested. I said we have a field that's ready to be harvested. Well, right now, if I look out there, those fields are white unto harvest. Why? Because it's all full of snow. But they can't be saved unless they hear the gospel. And in order to hear the gospel, someone's got to preach. And in order for someone to preach, someone's got to pray. And in order for someone to pray, they've got to find a message. And in order to find someone to message, they've got another God who gives the message. It just might be sharing your testimony. It just might be sympathizing. It just might be a random act of kindness. It just might be helping somebody across the road. It just might be whatever your eyes are opened up to. We have a field that's short of workers. Let me say this to you right now, there has never been, there has never been shortage in the kingdom, but there is shortage in the church, there's a shortage of faith, and you know what we do have in the church, ready for this, we have massive, massive unemployment, we have a huge problem in the church called unemployment. People don't want to work for God. People don't want to go out and tell people about the love of God. Do you honestly think God's going to look on us with favour and bless us if we don't do the basic thing called the harvest? Do you honestly think God will allow us to keep on feeding the sheep and the sheep don't and we cannot put them to work do you honestly think god will keep blessing us i'm sorry church now he might bless you as an individual as you walk with him and and learn to 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 follow his word but us as a house he won't and even even you as an individual has to come to this word because he's spoken to everybody who reads it when you read this, you read this word. You get six and a half days to read this word without me. So God speaks it to you more than He speaks it through me. We have a distinct shortage of needs. We focus our time and attention sometimes on the wrong things. We have a prayer that needs to be prayed, and we need—we we have a prayer that needs to be answered we have a commander in chief who's willing to deploy soldiers and you're those soldiers we use our gifts inside the church and we call it ministry here is our biggest deception let's go back to the T now that's called self service so we've we've even again we've got unemployment it's now called self service. But there'll be employment behind the couch in a minute because there'll be some toast served. But guess what? That's not ministry. Let's not confuse what ministry is. Thank God we've got people who will help. And you know, some of you, in the greatest love, you've never had the conscience to get behind there and help. You're quite happy to eat the tea. It's like drink the tea and, and eat the toast. But it still hasn't moved us to go beyond there and say, can I help you this week? You can help me every flipping week. Never mind this week. We have to move beyond, this is just, this is helping us this morning. So whoever put the chairs out, whoever cleans the building, whoever twitches the light on, whoever played the music this morning, this is just called what we do for us. This is not ministry. I have a ministry of leading worship. No, you have a gift of music. Let's not make it grandos. You serve the people. You serve the body. Right, let's not make this thing any bigger than it needs to be. Your real ministry is out there. And before him. And out there. That doesn't mean to say all these things don't get appreciated. But we make far more emphasis over what goes on in here. Than what goes on out there. People keep saying to me, why don't we have the music on the stage? It's amazing how many people in this house have asked me, why don't we have the music on there? We need the musicians on there. No, we don't. Why? Because in this heart, no music is ever going to become the focus. One lady says to me, you know, where's 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 the choir? She was an African lady she'd been used to leading choirs she says to me where's the choir pastor I said it's there so, what do you mean there I said the call, the congregation you are the choir you are the worshippers, we don't have a choir we don't want to stand there looking at them looking at us why do we need them to sing to us we don't worship's that way, not that way worship's not that way Worship's that way and this way. So we don't need a choir. We don't need musicians, you know, giving it all that. (laughs) We don't need that. We don't want that. Musicians should be heard, not seen. I'm one of them. I don't want anything to get in the way of Christ. Because I know what musicians are like. They go to a concert and the first thing they do is look at how he played that note, how he played that, how they got that song from that song, all the mechanics. And we miss the worship. That's not that's not what we want. Now we want we need to put songs together and flow together like we did this morning. All that needs to be done. But that's not the issue. I'm sorry if that's what you want, but that's not what you're getting. Welcome to a church with a difference. Oh, can I just say this, and I'll, I'll put my pad down so you know I'm finished. When you walk through that door, what does it say on the door? Welcome to, welcome to a church. Now, for many, many times you've asked me, Pastor, what makes our church with a difference? And I was studying Greg's. I kid you not, and I got, you know, when I'm normally in a supermarket, God speaks. So here I am, I'm studying Greg's, I'm waiting for me pasty, and this fellow's studying in front of me. And on the back, he's got the slogan on the back. He's a workman, and he's got a company with a difference. Company with a difference. So I thought, oh, yeah, I've seen that sign. And it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you dipstick. The answer to the question, what makes the dream center the difference? Do you know what it is? No. Give any answer you want. It's all going to be wrong. Don't answer back. Just listen because this is so powerful. I almost ordered two pasties at this. The Lord said to me, the reason what makes your church with a difference is the people. If there's no difference in the people, then you're not a church with a difference. That's it right there. And it blew me away and I thought, duh, Why didn't I see that? So we will not be called a church with a difference until we see people of a difference. Now, that is a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. So when you're answering that question, people say, what's the difference? What makes your church with a difference? You've got to be able to answer and say, me. Me. What makes you so different? Well, that's for you to answer. You define what makes you different. Don't say, well, I'm a Christian and I come to church. Forget that. You've got to define what makes you a Christian. What makes you different? Do you know what makes me different? I walk by faith. But my faith is not enough. I need to grow in my faith. Seriously, I need to know I've got so much shortage of faith that I keep saying, Lord, bring me to faith. Bring me to faith. Stand to your feet, if you will, please. I've realized that this message that God spoke to me at the beginning of the year about, the Lord spoke to me at Christmas time. He told me to tell you guys, and keep telling you guys, to push in, to press, to pursue until... The testimony of God is established through everything you do. And I've been preaching this now faithfully since Christmas. We are giving some time before we turn this thing inside out. Because we want to prepare the ground properly. But we will be turning this church inside out. And it's going to become become an uncomfortable place to be. Because it has to be. Because the harvest needs a workforce yes. and you, you know many of you people are fantastic god good godly people you've served to the best of your own intentions and god honors that and i honor that and many of you stood with me and stood with this leadership in times of crisis and i thank god for that i wouldn't know where we'd be without you as a house you've been amazing but church it's time to take it up again it's time to go again. Yeah. I don't care how old you are. The fact that you're still on this earth is proof that God still needs you. Yes. Right? That is, that's it in a nutshell. We're going to answer this question once and for all. What makes the Dream Center a church with a difference? And each one of you is going to have to answer that question. It's the people. And if the people are not different than anywhere else, then it's not a church with a difference. All it is is just a sign on the floor. Yeah. Not sure. True? True the people have to be different what makes them different well over to there and you'll see the church we see that's what makes the people different that's why we say the church we see so raise your hands if you will thank you for sitting here I know it's been cold I know that thank you I appreciate that you know we put a lot of money into this heating system and on days like this it's I mean listen it's not the same as sitting outside is it but we are warm but we're not hot So just think of some of those people around the world who are sitting in colder conditions than you are and uh, still listening to the word. So we're not freezing. We're just not warm. But Father, I thank you for this congregation. Thank you for these people, Lord. Thank you for every one of them. But I ask you, Lord, to bring us to faith. I ask you, Lord, to strengthen us. Bring us to the harvest field. We're asking the, the Lord of the harvest to send us. I really would ask you to pray that three things. Lord, brings us to faith. That you pray to the Lord of the harvest. And put yourself in there. Volunteer yourself. And we get the workforce to go into the harvest field. We need a workforce, church. We need a workforce. This is our greatest need right now as a dream centre. We need a workforce who will walk by faith into the harvest field. That's how we need right there. And we can't keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it and not volunteer ourselves. So surrender your life to the Lord of the harvest. You're not surrendering it to me, Phil or Paul, you surrender it to the Lord Himself and say, Lord, here I am, send me. I will go into the harvest field. Show me Lord. Lead me. Show me how to walk by faith. And work by faith. Send your light and your truth onto my path. Father, I pray for this congregation. That Lord, this day as they've heard this word. Oh my God. That you will do something sovereign, supernatural. Inside our hearts. That we will be a generation that will walk by faith. And we will not find another root. We will not find another root. But you'll develop us in faith in Jesus' name. Oh, Father. For the King and for His kingdom. For the King and His kingdom. Come on, church, say that with me if you will. For for the King and His kingdom. The harvest of the nations of the world will be harvested for the King and His kingdom. Here we are, Lord. Send us, Lord. Mobilize us. Mobilize us, Lord. Send us, Lord. Put a new cause in our hearts. Send us, Lord. Oh, mighty God. Oh, Father. Hmm. And the people of God said, Amen. Hallelujah.